0: friends, and welcome to the Rosé Hour podcast. I'm your host, Renee J. Johnson, and I no longer have coronavirus. Just joking. I just was actually sick last week. This week, we have two amazing guests, Dion Calhoun of Dancer Fit and Eric Sigabon of Somalia. Everybody drink rosé, uh-huh. rosé. So we sip rosé. We gonna sip rosé.
1: Sipping rosé. Baby girl, she don't play. Don't play. So we sipping rosé. We're gonna sip rosé. That rosé hour, baby. Sipping rosé.
0: Hey there, friends. It's your host, Renee J. Johnson. And guess what? It's another episode with Bartender Beth. What's up, what's up, what's up? Pew, pew, pew. So... I guess we're just going to repeat the fresh in it because we have a bonus rosé today with Eric.
1: Sounds good. One of my favorites.
0: So, you know, last week I was pretty sick and I think it people kind of tell. I didn't have Corona, but a lot of people probably thought I did. I did. You did not have Corona. Because if you had Corona, that means everyone in the studio had coronavirus. No, hated it.
1: I felt like, I felt like I had a tightness in my chest or so
0: I don't know. No, 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 no. And okay, people, if you think you have coronavirus, one, go to the doctor. But in order to prevent it, wash your doggone hands. So before you do anything, wash them. And we meet with soap and water and for at least 20 seconds. It's not that bad, people. The flu takes more people out. Facts. All right, well, I'm going to get off the soapbox and get into our first interview with Dion. Boom, let's do it. Hey there, everybody. Guess who's in the studio? She's amazing. She's dancing. She's getting you fit. She's making you look great. She's amazing. Dion! Woo Woo
1: hoo! I love that introduction, Renee, because it just gets me so hyped up. You're the ultimate hype girl.
0: It's like, you know, okay, I've not been to that many strip clubs. This is going left already. Okay. Um, (laughs) But it's like, next up, she's from
1: Detroit. well actually my stage name is nicole that's another day (laughs) and another story guys but thanks for coming to the rosie hour podcast and thank you for having me i'm so honored to be here thank you so much renee of course of course so i want
0: you to tell everybody uh about you like Your background. Where are you
1: from? What do you do? Absolutely. Who 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 is Dion and not Nicole? Right. Well, I am Dion and I am a native Washingtonian, which is rare these days. Unless you're in this room right now. Unless you're in this room. We're in a room full of nothing but native Washingtonians. So woohoo for that. Yes. I am the only uh, transplant. So way to go, DCers. I am a product of DC Public Schools. I attended Alice Deal and Woodrow Wilson Senior High School. Um, I graduated from the University of Mellon College Park pew, 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 pew. My alma mater as well Absolutely With a degree In communication studies um, My background Is actually In public service Government Communications And then also PR um, mm-hmm. And I worked on the—I started my career on Capitol Hill, and then I transitioned to the D.C. Council. Um, I am a proud mother of three boys. And they're all adorable and look just like you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and they're dead, too. Like, yes. I can't take all of the credit. I mean— <laughs> I see you. And I mean I see him, but I see you. Right, right. (laughs) I have a lot of personality. People know me. It's very energetic. Um I love life. I speak life. I am life. I want people to know that life is wonderful. Yes. Um and I'm just I'm just I'm just happy to be here. Well, we know that the world would
0: not be a good place to be without you because you bring so much light and sunshine around to everyone you're around. You are, like, infectious when you walk in a room. You just smile and you're like, oh, hi! And everybody's like, it's Dion! Thank you!
1: <laughs> and you're like that too, Renee. Well, I
0: mean, you're just like a sunshine though. Thank like, you. Like, I'm sort of like a, a nice cloud sometimes. You know, like, those clouds are like, oh, I think that's a pony. But you're like the ray of light. <laughs> oh, thank you. Isn't she awesome? Oh, well, thanks, thanks. So, You have a company called Dancer Fit. Absolutely. How did you start, one, your own business, and two, go into, like, the workout, aerobic,
1: dancing, like section of businesses. Absolutely. So just to give you a background on Dancer Fit, Dancer Fit, and I call this, is a fun way to get fit. Yes. So we empower women and girls to um, basically transform their lives holistically through dance fitness. So whether you want to lose weight, whether you want to tone and sculpt, whether you want to strengthen the abs, whether you really just need someone to motivate you, uplift you, inspire you, we help each individual client to reach their overall transformation fitness goals. And with that being said, we believe that a transformation, in order for it to be successful, three things must align. Yes.
0: And that is (laughs) those
1: three. Let me walk through those three. It is first the mental toughness. Mm -hmm. The mental toughness is so important for you to develop first because the mental toughness enables you to start the journey and then to stay on the journey regardless of what life throws at you. We know that there are so many detours, right? Mm-hmm. Life can be hard, but no matter how hard it gets, you have already developed that mental toughness where you're going to persevere and push through. Yes. Right? Yes. And then also, um, we, we focus on the spiritual, Okay. Right? Because you also have to have some connection with life. Mm. Right? And then also that spiritual, physical, and then also the mental makes for a successful fitness transformation journey. I started my journey when I started my first company. Oh. Which was Calhoun Communications. Yes,
0: I remember that. It was an amazing, and it still is, a great communications
1: firm. Absolutely. You do a lot of great work and support a lot of good companies and people. Thank you. And so at that time, I was 80 pounds overweight. Yeah, I remember the ODI. I was 80 pounds overweight. And I knew by starting that company, I couldn't hide behind my former bosses. I couldn't hide behind a high-profile job. I knew that my name was on the door. So when I walked in the room, I had to be fully confident. Because no one is going to respect you if you're walking in a room with your head down low. Because you're not fully confident. So I knew that me transforming, I had to start first within. Yes. And so Starting first within means that I needed to make that holistic transformation. So I said, Dion, you are going to take this step and you are actually going to work on just some issues that you have to work on personally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then because sometimes we should, we don't we're holding on to weight because we're holding on to baggage. Yes. You know, let's be real. Yeah. And
0: I think there is a correlation. I know there are studies that have been done that talk about, you know, when depression, mm-hmm. uh, mental anxiety or just plain out anxiety,
1: uh, stress. Those are things that continuously help you be a little puffy, I like to call it. absolutely. And and those are things that we don't want to talk about, but you have to talk about those things. And you have to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly so that you can transform into the best person that you can be.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like people have to figure out like what is happening in their space mentally in order to let go. Absolutely. So it's like a letting go of like what has happened or occurred for you to be in this state today.
1: Right, absolutely. That makes sense. So I started my physical transformation journey. I remember this day, like it was yesterday. It was December 29th, 2016. And I said, this is a day I'm never going to go back. I'm going to start this today. And I walked from the 25th hundred block of North Capitol Street I walked to Howard University, I walked up a hill, I walked back, and then I kept walking. And that day was the day that I said, I'm going to lose this weight, and I'm going to become the best Dion that I can be. I documented it, and I continued to document my journey. And within six months, I lost 50 pounds, two months later september of 2017 i had lost 70 pounds so then i started the campaign 70 pounds down everybody watched me on social media yes
0: i remember that yeah because
1: i documented my whole journey and as I was showing people the way they were cheering me on. Yes. And as they were cheering me on, I didn't want to let them down. And once I saw the results, the results really wanted to made me want to aim higher. Yes. So I started Dancer Fit as a result because people asked for it. They wanted Dancer Fit. They wanted yes. me to start that program based upon what they saw on social media and based upon them seeing my journey
0: so what happens at a normal dancer
1: fit class yeah so 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 it's twofolds right okay um, in the beginning of the class we start first out with um, strength and resistance training strength and resistance training is so important because once you lose the weight then what happens yeah. you may have excess skin that you actually want to tighten up yep you may you may not necessarily like the way your body looks and I believe that with toning and sculpting you can sculpt your body to look however you want it Very much so With true. the proper technique and with education. So we focus on form. We focus on flexibility. We focus on balance and endurance. We focus on power, strength, and agility. We focus on all of those components. And it's really education. See, there's really no blueprint out there. You see all of these celebrities and they're They got these best bodies. Everybody wants to look like Beyonce and Jennifer yeah. Lopez. Yeah. But they're not really showing you the steps. They're not really showing you. So my program, I really want to educate and I want to show people what you can do at home. You don't necessarily need a gym. You all you need is freeways. All you need to go into all you need to do is go into the zone with music. Yes. And I teach them the tools to succeed in their fitness transformation journey. So it's really holistic education.
0: Yes. I love it. So I've seen your journey and it is so amazing. Like it is very inspirational. Um, it's just like, oh, well, this is possible. Like, it gives hope. Yes. What what are some of the things that you're hearing from, like, young women who, you know, have... have I don't want to say overweight, but, like, who have some uh, weight challenges, if you right. will. I know you mentor them. How do you, like, speak to them about, like, your progression yeah. and get them excited about their own? Because it's good to be
1: inspired, but that doesn't mean it's going to correlate to you doing anything. Right. You know what I see, and I, you know, it sometimes hurts my heart. Um, you know, it's really the lack of confidence. That's really what it is. It's them just not thinking that they can do it. Yeah. It's, it's them not seeing it done. And so what happens is they will put barriers in front of them before actually seeing the tunnel vision ahead. So we really focus on confidence. Yes, you can do it. The power of your words is manifest- manifestation. Yeah. So when you wake up and you say, I can and I will, and when you really say, basically, I can do it, you, you would be surprised the power of your words and how you will move. It's so we true. really focus on the confidence. I, I also hear I don't have time. Mm, right? Sounds like my number one and, excuse. And, and I'm going <laughs> to be honest with you. That's the same excuse that I made. I didn't have time because of high-profile jobs. I didn't have time because I had two kids. I didn't have time because, you know, I had a husband also. I made all those excuses, and because I did make all all those excuses, I am able to see those excuses, call them out, and say, well, how are we going to get past excuses? Because if I did it, you can too.
0: Yes. And I don't have husband said children. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. Dion came with me to a workout class we had. Well, I had. And she didn't work out before or anything. She was killing it. <laughs> and I was looking at her like, <laughs> Why? <laughs> why? Why am I in pain, Jesus? Um, but you just were so excited, and the way your outlook is on things, I feel like that's telling to how you persevered and how you handled your journey. Yes. So, like your mental is really like. Aligned with sort of like your environment And you make sure of that Mm. So what
1: kind of self-care do you do To make sure you stay that way? Right, so you know what I do? I meditate Like early in the morning When I start out my day I just, I'm very quiet Mm. Like I'm I'm really in the moment Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm strategically mapping out what I need to do. I, I, I look at each day as a day just to get better. I look at each day as a day for an opportunity. I look at each day as a day where you can actually set a goal and accomplishment, whether it's that day, whether it's that week, whether that's a month from now, whether it's six months from now. So, and, and what I also tell my clients is that, even though this is dance fitness, I'm just using dance fitness as a method to reach the masses. Yeah. Meaning meaning, this is bigger than dance. This is lifestyle. This is lifestyle in a sense that Anything that you put your mind to doing You can do it despite what somebody's Telling you you can't do right So so this is Giving you the confidence so I'm using dance As a platform to give you The confidence so that when you want to go out After that job promotion you're fully confident because you've been coming to class you're walking with your head held high so you're not going to let somebody tell you why you can't go after that job promotion yes
0: right yes so
1: I feel like I need to go call
0: my boss right now absolutely
1: so yeah. if you want to start that business and people are telling you that you can't start that business because you're not good enough you're going to tell that person oh no I know what I can do. Mm-hmm, I can start mm-hmm. this business. I'm going to show you that I'm going to start this business. And I'm going to prove oh. to you that I can start this business. So this really, this platform is really a platform for women and girls yes. to basically take control of their lives, to create their own destiny, and to be one with who they are and to know who they are and to not let, let nothing stop them. Ambition. People want to. People think that ambition for a woman is an issue.
0: Yes, very much so. Like you
1: can't be ambitious and you can't be it. You can't be a woman that has ambition.
0: Oh yeah, because you right? looked at... As you are doing the most, you're minimizing most. what men are. You're arrogant. Yeah, you know? you're
1: selfish. you're right. Stuck up. You're bougie. Right. Absolutely. All of these, name name an adjective. So you know. so this program is about confidence. It's about mental toughness. It's about perseverance. It's about strategy. I mean, all of those things align for what? And this is theme, a successful transformation, both professionally. Both personally, physically, mental toughness. And that's what dancer fit is all about. It's a community. It's women empowerment. It's us basically cheering each other on. If I'm feeling down and you come in and I come into a class, you know, you're gonna leave out. Smiling. Yes. You're going to leave out. You may have fears when you come in, but you're going to leave your fears at the door. And when you leave Ooh. out, if you got to pick them back up, you pick them back up. But that's your choice. But you're not going to have those fears in here. Oh, my gosh. Dion, you're, you're making my left eye water because
0: <laughs> you're speaking to my soul, my spirit. <laughs> And it's exactly what I said at the beginning. You are a ray of sunshine and it, it, it definitely illuminates uh when you're in your classes. I mean, I've seen so many videos. We have friends that come to your class and like we're in the, the group chat and they're like, yes. Ooh, girl, Thank like my you. legs hurt, but Dion's class, she was hilarious and she was amazing and she pushed Thank me you. to like other limits. Thank so you. We, I mean, I can't wait to come. I know I've been putting up. It it's okay. It's okay. It's
1: we are there, open arms, when you are ready, as <laughs> you be invited ready. me to your training session. Yeah. And that was actually a springboard for me because when I saw that in that class, when you invited me to come with your trainer, yeah, that I said then and I spoke it into manifestation. You did. I said, I'm gonna do this. I said, like, I'm I gonna do this. this. This was three years ago, guys. Yep. This was three years. I said you know what I'm going to train yep. and you see the power of the words I'm going back to manifestation, manifestation and the power of your words when you speak it you will do it it will happen
0: Amen oh, I have to take a sip because mm. <laughs> let him use you girl let him, let use, him you. use you so yes. I ask everyone this question
1: Mm-hmm. What is your favorite rosé? Okay, so I don't remember. Like, I'm like like I i going to be really honest with you. You know I don't drink, right? She's but, a person that, she's that friend that's like, oh, I don't drink. Yeah. Pour a little in my cup. Let right, me exactly. <laughs> and one of my um, clients, actually, we just had an Embrace your Sexy session. And they had a rosé. And I can't remember what the name is. So maybe I can email or text you what yes, that is. Yes, But I do like sweet wine. Mm-hmm. So sweet rosé. Yeah. But I just can't remember remember what the name well, of it was. Well, today we're drinking freshernet, freshernet. Well, I do like that. So, like I've we're you get a freshernet Rose? Yes, yes. I've had two cups of that already. <laughs> and I feel nice. <laughs> My nerves are calm. Yes, yes, and Renee makes it so easy because Aww. of her infectious personality. She's so energetic and so Yo, bubbly. I am blushing over here.
0: <laughs> I am just oh, this is and it's funny because her last name is Johnson yes, as well. Exactly. So we are secretly sisters from another mystery. Yes, we are. So people we don't are. know that, but now you do. Mm-hmm. Dion, how can people one come to your classes, okay.
1: two connect with you, and follow you on social yes. media? So my Instagram is dancer fit by Dion. Um, we are. Uh, definitely a community on Instagram so you can reach out to me there um, if they want to reach out to me via phone or email it's 202-681-0419 Dion at gmail.com we're on Eventbrite so you can go to Eventbrite in- 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 you can search Dancer Fit by Dion. you have the list of the 2020 classes we're also on Square if you type in Dancer Fit by Dion, you have a list of all services we do private sessions we do corporate sessions we have Embrace Your Sexy Sessions. Those those are- Wait, what's the Embrace Your Sexy? Okay, great, great. And I'm glad that you asked that. So Embrace Your Sexy is a model that when you walk into the men a room, in the audience perked yes. up. They're like, right? "Yes, <laughs> what is this yeah. embracing you know, of the sexy?" Embrace sex. <laughs> so, embrace your sexy. That is a slogan, and it's a catchy slogan. And it's mm. it's used. It's, it's done their glasses right. down here more. <laughs> it's strategic to be catchy because I want to capture folks' attention. Yes. yes. And so the model behind that campaign is that the most powerful attribute on a woman is her confidence, and that's what we talked about. Yes. So what we teach in that class is when you walk into room, you own it. You own the space that you're in. That head is held high. Those shoulders are up and erect. You are walking with a pep in your step. Girl, you got this. So I never want to see a woman walk with her head down high. That is one thing that hurts my soul. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't ever want to see that because, see... Your walk determines how people perceive you. Yes, because it's the first line of who you of
0: are who if I'm like identifying you. Cause like we like to put people on boxes. Absolutely. So it's the the quickest way to say, Oh, I don't have time for and you. And they're gonna count you out. They size you up. Right. So if you don't believe in yourself, well, who else is? That's something I wholeheartedly
1: believe. The world is gonna tear you down. Right. It is. I'm so- okay when I tear <laughs> myself down. Absolutely. So when you sit at that table okay if folks don't want you at the table and they reject you you create your own that's right you know I'm just like Shirley you have renee in. just uh-huh. like, so so and you bring others with you and yes. you're telling them because of this confidence because i'm building legacy yes i'm creating impact i'm showing young people i want young people to be better than me that's right so embrace your sexy is we are teaching confidence we are teaching basic walk that's the first fundamental principle. I've seen the walk. And Embrace Your Sexy is a walk, baby. When you walk, you better strut that stuff. I don't care. Walk like no one is in the room. Yes. And they don't see you. You just walk and you don't see anybody. That is Embrace Your Sexy. It's a Sexy Heels class. We actually work on posture. We do choreography. We do strength training and conditioning. We work on flexibility. Yes, queen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and my gosh. I know
0: that this is Valentine's Day. <laughs> (laughs) Weekend. This is not every Valentine's Day weekend, but for next year, for those men who are like, you know, (laughs) save up your coins. Right. Bring your wives and your girlfriends. Bring bring your your wives and your girlfriends. Because believe it or not,
1: the husbands and the boyfriends, they refer the wives and the girlfriends to me. I bet. They're like, uh, you need to learn how to (laughs) get that back straight. Yes. It's so funny. So we work on all of that. And that is my mo that is the most popular class oh. um most popular has it people love it um, it's gotten definitely the program has gotten national recognition, international recognition. You won D.C., Best of D.C.? Yes. So we won. So we won Best of D.C. Um, we actually won Best of D.C. from the community. We yes. won Best of D.C. in arts and entertainment um, by the reader's choice of the Washington City paper, which really means that yes. the people's choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we've been pretty much taking the the world by storm. Just not just local, but I mean this movement. And I'm I'm going back to speaking things in existence. This is a global movement. It just doesn't Amen. stop in DC. Amen. I mean, we took this show in Jamaica, so it I has saw. gone international. So if you're not following Dion,
0: you have to. She where wherever she goes, this I'm show a brand will be with me. It Wherever we taking a brand. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I just Oh gosh You're so amazing Oh um, I want to thank you So much for being mm-hmm. here I know you don't drink But you drink in two cups Yes thank Maybe you Maybe a third Coming up real quick Not really sure Probably will um, Any last words You
1: want to say Because you just, you just Give gems to people All the time I have to yeah. You know I, So the gems are If if I can just say These three things For transformation Yes um, Anybody that's listening and, they, and they're thinking About starting don't put it off. Mm. You know, it's not just the physical, it's the mental. Yes. So, so starting with the transformation, you start with the mental toughness. Yes. Um, Do things that you like to do. That's the second gem. And then also, um, be consistent. Yes. Consistency is key. Well, and it builds the character of who you are. Yes, and it builds the character. And then also, align yourself with people that are going to push you to do better.
0: Yes everybody ain't here for That Everybody's not going
1: to do that. Yes. So when they're pushing you to do better, you when you those mentors, those aunties, they're pushing you, and you have no choice but to be better. And then I'm going to leave with this: we have an event that's coming up on the 22nd. I love the plug. I'm <laughs> happy to <laughs> put the plug out there. Yes. We have an event. We are having um, an artist come from Atlanta. Oh. Um, Her name is India. She's, if you follow her on Instagram. I've seen your promo. She does Aphrodisiac and she is from Atlanta. She's originally from the DMV, but she moved out to Atlanta to chase her dreams and she is going to be here. Um, One thing about Dancer Fit is also basically providing a platform for thriving artists for us to be able to showcase their talent. My love first is for the arts, politics, the second love. Yeah, PR and communications is the second love but my first love is arts yes. and so she is coming on the 22nd you can go on my Instagram page and my link in the bio. One more time, what is that? It is Dancer Fit by Dion and you can purchase tickets there. Um, we still have tickets that we want to sell. We definitely want to pack the house out, show her some love. She's here on her birthday weekend. Aww. It's on the 22nd. It's at Offroad DC 905 U Street, Northwest um, 5 to 7. Again, Dancer Fit by Dion on IG link in the bio you can purchase tickets there and Dion as well D I O N N E yes D I O N N E yes and Renee thank you for having me I just want to leave with this you are very good at what you do whatever it is that you do you bring the excellence you bring the a-game so I know with this new endeavor it is going to be successful and you're just going to rise and elevate with whatever you do so I just support you and I'm thank you and I'm honored to have been on your show
0: y'all I'm tearing up in this left eye y'all y'all have no (laughs) idea thank you Dion. thank you for having me thank you so much for being here Matter of fact, let's just cheers it out. Cheers. Yes, and I just need some more drinks. Yes, me- <laughs> one more cup. One more cup. Thank you so
1: much, Renee. No problem.
0: Wow, thanks, Dayan. Oh, my gosh, we drank a lot of rosé. Mm. Next up, Eric Siegelbaum, a small yay. I'm so excited about this conversation because there's a surprise rosé we tasted. mm 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 Hey there, friends, and welcome to the Rosé Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Renee J. Johnson, and I'm here today with someone I met a few weeks ago who... Is officially my new best friend for life, Uh, is a sommelier, which we'll talk about what actually that means. And not only just a sommelier, the 2019 Food and Wine Magazine sommelier of the year. Let's give it up, people, for Eric Singleball. Hi,
2: everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I am very, very happy to be here. Talk about one of my favorite subjects, too.
0: I mean, whose favorite subject is not something that deals with wine and champagne?
2: People I'm not friends with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hence the love that we have for exactly. each other. <laughs> At first sight. Exactly! Exactly. You had me at hello. <laughs> you- <laughs> and you guys do not see his shirt, but it says pretty fly for a wine guy. Like, he is all about this, right?
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all in, 100%.
0: So, Eric, tell us a little about you. Like, where you are from? How did you, you know, find out about Sommelier and
2: all of that wonderful stuff? Sure, absolutely. So, um, I live in Washington, D.C. now, though uh, I'm from all over the place. I was born in Chicago. Woo, me too! Oh, really? Yeah! <laughs> Awesome. So born in Chicago, uh, by the time I was eight, I I'd lived in Fort Worth, Texas, Anaheim, or as I like to call it, the People's Republic of Disney outside (laughs) of LA, Um, and then uh, Toronto, Canada, where I grew up, went to university in Philadelphia, then lived in South Beach, Miami, then Seattle, which is where my heart says I'm from, Yeah. Uh, and now DC, then up to Philly again, and now back in DC. But I really do love DC, so I, I think my heart's split between Seattle and DC. Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. Washington
2: and the other Washington.
0: Right, you're you're here for Washington's. That's right. That, That's it doesn't right. matter which one. one I'm an equal
2: same. opportunity Washington lover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they love you back Aww. equally. Thank so you. you're a sommelier. Sure am. What is a sommelier for those who may not know?
2: So a sommelier is basically somebody who has passionately devoted their life to wine and by extension beverage. So it doesn't just include wine. It's cocktails. It's beer. It's coffee. It's tea. It's all of those things that you might consume in a restaurant. The one thing I'm going to get on my soapbox about is if you hear things like water sommelier, towel sommelier. All that is some BS. some ways yeah. an accreditation. I can't say I'm a doctor of fast food or I'm a doctor of... Uh, uh, t-shirt folding in retail. Yeah. So I get really annoyed when people say, oh, the towel sommelier. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not a thing. But yeah, so- It can't be a thing. Like you fold towels. Right. But like- sommelier is a professional accreditation, but a lot of people use it as a job title. So like if you've ever taken a cruise, the people who have the thing that says sommelier is probably just a wine steward doing the job <gasps> of a sommelier. So it's a little bit confusing, but ultimately I am somebody who's passionately devoted to making you happy in the glass. And I um, a lot of people say sommelier means wine expert, and I would suggest we are not experts. We might have more expertise than the average person, mm-hmm. but my God, there is so much I don't know. Yeah. So my role is not to discuss what I know and what you don't know. Uh, a good sommelier and what I pride myself on is to just make you comfortable and put the right thing in your glass. That's all I care about.
0: Wow. So basically, understanding palates,
2: mm-hmm. what people like— And then making sure they have it in their cup. Right. And more importantly than uh, understanding palates is making people comfortable talking about what they like. So I'll tell you one of my least favorite things that I hear the most often as a sommelier is I'll go up to a table uh, and I'll say, you know, how may I assist you with your wine selection? They'll say, what do you recommend? You know what I want to say? The whole list. That's why I wrote it.
0: Right. You cultivate it. Right. Or they'll
2: say, what do you like? And it's like, it doesn't matter what I like because what I like and what you like might be totally different. Right. And a a wine list, whether it's 10 wines or a thousand wines, is going to be done in a way that appeals to any kind of palate. So I, as a sommelier, could care less about what I like and I want to know what you like. In fact, the example that I use all the time, and I'm not not just spinning this because we're talking rosé here, is when people say, what do you recommend or what do you like, you know, I use the example of Lopez de Heredia's rosé. Mm. I say, you know, like, you might want a rosé, but you don't want, necessarily want my recommendation because that thing, I mean, the current vintage, I think, is 2004 or 2006. So it's a, it's aged like crazy. It tastes nothing like what most people would expect a rosé to taste like. Right. So there's a that's the example I use with a guest when they're like, what do you recommend? I'm like, don't ask what I recommend. Let's talk about what you like
1: yeah. in whatever
2: language you have. And folks, people who are listening, you do not need to use wine terms when you're talking to a sommelier. In fact, it's better if you... Don't just be <laughs> yeah. honest about what you like in whatever language you have. And for the ways that are good at their jobs and that are worth their salt, they will be able to translate your, your words, whatever they are to your intent. And the last thing I'll say is this there, whoever's listening, I'm talking to every one of you individually,
0: every single, every one, one of you. you
2: individually, this holds true. There is no, better expert in what you like on the planet than yourself.
0: Yeah. Amen.
2: So rather than asking somebody else what you should like or trying to like something because somebody says you should, just explain what you do like in whatever language you have, as simple and basic as you want, and a sommelier will translate that into something happy for you.
0: I love that because I'm one of those people when I go to uh, pick a wine or rosé, I ask questions like, well, today I'm in a mood for something that's not so sweet, not sparkling, has some good flavor. So like, it's okay to say these things and you don't take offense to it.
2: Oh no, it's, it's, I encourage it. It makes my job easier. If if I'm trying to predict what you like based just on how you're sitting, how you're dressed, how you're acting, that's far more difficult than if you tell me. Yeah. what you like. In fact, if you want, I can even give you the, when somebody says I'm interested in rosé, I'm since, you know, it's very specific to what we're doing. I can give you my rundown as a summary of the questions I ask.
0: Yeah. So I, I think we should do that because you also brought a rosé. Sure so did. we can, we can talk about the, the rundown and then the, how you brought this, this wine today.
2: Absolutely. So when a guest tells me they want a rosé, my first question is always still or sparkling. Mm-hmm. I think people forget that sparkling pink wines are Still rosés, yeah. Um, so that's a really good question to know. Um, from there, I will with rosés. It's a much small smaller field of questioning. I typically ask, do you prefer more citrus flavors—lemons, limes, grapefruit, mandarin, tangerine, etc.—or do you prefer more uh, berry flavors—strawberries, raspberry, uh, cranberry, etc.? That is enough to sort of divide almost every single rosé into giant flavor camps. Yeah. And just knowing those two things put me in a really good pace for what the guest wants. My secondary question will be, do you want it full-on dry, slightly off-dry, semi-sweet or sweet? And one of the problems that I think a lot of people have with rosé is they just assume pink means sweet, mm-hmm. and that's really because of white Zinfandel from the 70s and 80s and 90s and, yeah. and all that. But you know, most, most rosés are somewhere between fully dry to bone dry. So just by asking a couple of those questions that already puts me in a really good spot to make a recommendation.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, those questions are great because I think a lot of people don't even realize what they like. And then when you're presented those questions, it's like, oh, you know what? I do like lemon flavoring, or I don't like, you know, super sweet. It does make me feel a little weird. So that's great that like you're proactive, and sort of helping people figure out what it is that they want to drink since they came here to drink.
2: Well, it doesn't do me any good to force somebody to drink a bottle they don't like. And, and I, a lot of people are uncomfortable around some ways. So if I just recommend something and they don't love it, they might just say, yeah, okay, that's good. We'll take it. And then really not be happy. And that, that doesn't benefit them. It doesn't benefit me. I, and also, I could care less about the transaction. Yeah. Whether, whether it's a $20 bottle or a $2,000 bottle, I couldn't care less about anyone's money I care about their happiness. And yeah. by the way, Somalis that are listening to this, it's far more valuable to make a guest happy and keep them coming back over and over again, spending thirty or forty dollars yes. every week, than to bang them over a barrel for two or three hundred bucks once and have it be a miserable experience. And they tell all their friends that it wasn't really good, and the Somali kind of coerced them into a wine that told, and he or she told them they were supposed to like, but they didn't really like it. But it was a whole awkward situation. Now they're never coming back. So
0: or they're never going to tell anyone. About a good experience, which means you won't have additional customers. Exactly. You lost people, potential customers.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: Well, okay. So, yes, take a sip because this (laughs) rose you brought today, oh my God, the rose of the day. Woo, child is delicious. Can you tell us more about it?
2: Absolutely. So this is a rosé from the Marche, Italy. So right in the central part, north to south, and on the east coast. The Marche is one of my favorite Italian regions that is incredibly underrated. And the good news for you, dear listeners, is that underrated regions mean incredibly affordable wines. Yeah. More prestige means more price. It's just simple supply and demand economics. So um, this producer is called Marotti Campi. <laughs> they are an incredible. Family owned winery. Um, Lorenzo is the son and his parents, whose names I should know because I've sat at their dinner table. <laughs> I don't remember. Um,
0: and it's nothing personal. It's oh, just no, 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 you've no. met a
1: lot of people. I mean a lot, lot of people. Of I meet a lot of people. But
2: they're they amazing people. So, um, one of the, uh, apart from its location in the market Italy, one of the things I love about this wine is that it, too, well, there's two things. Number one, this is a purpose driven rose. Um, I, I personally divide roses into two camps rose as a byproduct and rose by purpose. So rosé as a byproduct is when you're making red wine, you can do this thing called seigne, where you bleed off some of the liquid while the grapes are macerating. And what you have is more the same amount of pigment but with less liquid, so you concentrate your red wine. Well, a winemaker or a wine grower has grown and paid to harvest these grapes. They're not just going to dump that potential wine down the drain, right. so they'll make it into a— a wine, and that is called Seigneur or to bleed for all my French speakers. So that is a wine, but, and that doesn't mean that Seigneur wines aren't great. They can be and often are extraordinary, but I call that like rose by byproduct. This is rose by purpose, which means everything about the production of this wine was start to finish. This is going to be a rose. So, um, The other thing I love about it is the grape is a grape called lacrima and lacrima is not a very well-known grape. It is the principal red grape of the Marque. It is one of my favorite red grapes when it's a red wine to serve chilled. I mean, full on cold. Really? A red
0: wine to serve chilled?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm all about chilling certain red wines. They have to be low tannin, uh, bright, bright doesn't mean high acid, but often those two things are the same. But really bright, um, potentially high acid, but most importantly low tannins. When tannins get chilled, they get really astringent and scratchy. If mm. you ever like drank a soda too quickly, and it kind of yeah. claws at your throat. That's that's not the same thing, but that's a similar feeling to what happens when tannins get chilled down too much. But um, ultimately, I, any any kind of red wine that is sort of bright, fruit driven not sweet. When I say fruit-driven, I do not mean sweet. They are different things Um, and sort of high acid and light with great structure. That is a perfect candidate for being served cold. And you'd be surprised how many wines that I drink full-on cold. Wow. Uh, Lacrima, Gamay, um, Cinso, Kunwas, uh, many Grenaches, Turaldigo. I know I'm probably naming a bunch of grapes. Most of you are like, what? Yeah. Uh, they're like they're, not at the, like,
0: they're not at the grocery store. What grape is this? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> well,
2: I mean, you see a lot of Gamay. Gamay is the grape of Beaujolais. So anything Beaujolais, uh, I encourage you to drink it chilled. Um, but so back to this wine. So the grape is Lacrima. It's beautiful, bright. I love that it has a good balance of both citrus and berry tones. Uh, and again, they, they everything about this wine was designed to be rosé. And Marotti Campi, this producer, is one of the absolute best producers in the Marque. They are so good. In fact, I might be divulging a secret, I shouldn't, that many of the other producers in that region, and there aren't a whole lot hire Marotti Campi to make their wine for them so they grow their grapes and he makes it and then they bottle it under their label that's how good he is but I don't know if I just gave away a secret so sorry Lorenzo if I did (laughs) oops Um, (laughs) in terms of you know I don't like telling people what they taste in wines but I mentioned like this is a good balance of citrus and berry tones it's bright it's high acid think like uh mandarin oil, um, and even mandarin blossom, uh, almost like a cherry blossom note, uh, cranberry, red currant, strawberry. But what I love about it is it's full on dry, Mm -hmm. and it's got this wonderful secondary note of like fresh cut flowers. It's just like a gentle, pretty floral note behind it. um, And beautiful minerality. Imagine like uh, almost like wet river rocks. You know, I love whitewater rafting. So if you know the smell of like being on the river, Mm -hmm. uh, on a rocky mountain river, not like a muddy Potomac East style river, right. a good no, river. Not in no, a local municipality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mississippi, <laughs> this doesn't count. Um, but like, just that smell of like wet river rocks. I absolutely love this wine. Um, the other thing about it, again, when I talked about this, because the Marque is not exactly the region that people are clamoring for, the value is incredible. So, just to, uh, I don't remember exactly what this costs. I want to say it's roughly nine to thirteen dollars retail. Which, yeah. if you think about that. Here's something I don't understand with wine, not just rosé wine in general. People will be like, oh my God, $15 a bottle, that's so much money. But then they'll go out and they'll drink four beers at seven bucks a beer. And exactly. it's like, well, that's the equivalent of like $28 a bottle in alcohol. Yeah. So why wouldn't you drink a $15 bottle of wine? Anyway.
0: No, I, I'm here with you on that because like a pet peeve of mine is like, I have some friends that are like, oh, I don't want to drink wine or champagne when I'm out. I want to have like either a beer or some hard liquor. And I'm like, oh. And you're using cost as a reason? Yeah, right? Like, what?
2: Well, so for all of you listening, just if, you know, there's basically five glasses of of wine in a bottle, five ounce, if you're pouring five ounce pours, which is pretty standard. Right. So if you're retail shopping and a glass, and a bottle of wine is 25 bucks, that's five bucks a glass. Now think about that in a restaurant. Yeah. Right? So I'm not trying to force people to spend money, but at the same token, it's like, don't be afraid to move from like the sub 15 benchmark to like the 20-ish or to even the 30-ish, because even at 30... Right, we're talking about six bucks a glass. It's yeah. not a whole lot.
0: It's really not. I'm an enabler. Break it down. When you go out, if you were out drinking, you would pay actually twice that price at least for like one cup will be or one glass would be like fifteen to twenty dollars. Right. Exactly. So you you basically bought the bottle.
2: Right. <laughs> and and so don't be afraid to go big in retail and by or go bigger in retail. And, and I'll tell you the difference in retail between fifteen or between fifteen and under, actually really the, the real different points are ten and under. From 10 to 15, there's a huge jump jumping quality. From 15 to 25, another huge jumping quality. And north of 25, you're getting into some seriously great stuff here. Yeah. And again, you know, 30 bucks is six bucks a glass, so.
0: Yeah, and it breaks down. Yeah. So you know so much about rosé wine. I mean, you're a sommelier, duh. It's my How- job. <laughs> <laughs> it is your job to
2: know. How did you even get into this world? Like. Oh, oh that was so simple. I used to be a chef, and chef's drink. A lot. No, that's it. I mean, that's what it was. I was a chef. And man, after 14 hours slaving away, being cut burnt and destroyed in a kitchen, you definitely want to drink. So I started drinking for, God, I need a drink. And mm. over the course of time, as I started to develop my palate as a chef, suddenly I stopped drinking for alcohol and started drinking for taste. Mm. Um, and over time that continued. And the last place I cooked professionally, I was the chef um, of a restaurant called Founders, which was a fine dining French, like full service fine dining French restaurant. I'm talking about tuxedo clad waiters, like seven, eight course tasting menus with the mousse bouche and intermezzos and minier d's and all that. I was the restaurant chef there and I at the Park Hyatt, Philadelphia, which is... No longer Park Hyatt, but at the time it was. Yeah. Um, I was there. I was responsible for that kitchen, and the sommelier became a friend. And he knew I was getting more into flavor and wine, so he would constantly invite me into the wine tastings. If he had one bottle left that had to come off the list, he'd be like, "Here, you drink this." Um, he'd anytime he had something open, he would let me taste it, and the love affair was born. Then, by a twist of circumstance, so I graduated Drexel. wasn't a fan of Philly. Sorry to my Philly friends. I just. Not my favorite city. Yeah. Um, and uh, Hyatt was opening this luxury boutique hotel in South Beach. And 20, I don't know, three year old me crushed in student loan debt, seeing the servers or captains come in three hours after me, leave three hours before me, barely be busy, make three times as much, and be at the bar two hours before I was finished. Wow. I was like, hmm, I got to pay my bills. I'm really into wine. So I could be a server and make three times more money. So I got my intro SOM certification. Because it became very clear very quickly, the more I knew about wine, the more money I made. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within like five months of the re- the hotel opening, the head sommelier quit. The wine director was fired, or maybe I got that wrong. But one was quit, one was fired. Yeah, I was the Something,
0: only. There was a transition. Some that people occurred. left,
2: is what I'm saying. <laughs> I was the only person with any kind of wine experience, and I'll tell you, intro pin is like, it's like what a GED versus like an MD right it's barely anything but I was the only person with anything and they're like okay you're running the hotel the rest the fine dining restaurant which at the time was like the hottest spot in South Beach the club the bottle service the in room dining the catering by the way in two weeks uh, where we were across the road from the beach where South Beach Food and Wine Festival was so they're like oh by the way in two weeks you're doing a wine dinner where Marcus Samuelson is cooking and it's Nibom Coppola's wines and you have to do the pairings and this and that and it was just like oh god I got thrust into that, and it was an intense two years of just figuring it out with no mentorship and no instruction, and that was nearly two decades ago, and I couldn't be happier with where I am in my life.
0: Wow. So you were just kind of like thrust into, thrown into the gauntlet, if you will. It's like learning to
2: drive stick in a Ferrari (laughs) on a hill.
0: (laughs) In the rain, in the
2: rain, or in the snow, or <laughs> I, after an ice storm—I don't know—but but, <laughs> oh but you know, gosh. what? It's, it's one of the best things that can happen to anybody to just get forced to force in their career, forced to figure it out, and it might be why I love it. I mean, I'm somebody who's highly competitive and loves a challenge, and if I would have had an easy path in, I maybe wouldn't be here talking to you about rosé. Wow, I'm like floored. I'm like, wow, that's a story. That is a story It's a pretty happy one (laughs) Yeah
0: I love the The ending isn't even written yet Because there's so much more you've done Oh God, yeah So I want to talk about too Like How we met Was because of the tax tariff situation Yep And if you guys remember On our first episode We talked about the wine tariffs uh, And the terrified uh, Situation that's happening With our wine industry And so Wanted to talk more about What's going on now What's happening And like What can people do To engage And stay involved
2: excellent and I, that's something I definitely want to talk about it's one of the reasons I bought a European wine not a domestic wine so this is a very complex thing but I'll give I'll, I'll give like the gloss over very quickly um, there were two potential tariff situations on European Union wines one was just on champagne and if you if you're all listening you might remember some time ago there was a whole thing where both Trump and Macron tweeted like oh there's going to be no tariffs that was in, re- uh, in response to a digital services tax that France was imparting on like Amazon and Google and the mm-hmm. companies that operate digitally that was just on champagne. So everybody saw that and they breathed a sigh of relief. They're like, ah, okay, no tariffs, we're good. But that wasn't the big one. The big one was that um, in response to the Airbus dispute. Yeah. And the background of that is for 16 years, the EU has been straight up illegally subsidizing Airbus with EU funds. So the World Trade o- Organization finally, after 16 years of the US challenging this, said, dear United States, you are right. This is illegal. You are well within your rights to to levy tariffs against EU goods up to $7.5 billion per year to recoup for this unfair trade advantage that Airbus was given over Boeing. Right. So in response to that, our current government, and I want to be clear, this is not a partisan issue. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, moderate, conservative, socialist, whatever, right? And, and I'll keep my political feelings out of this one. This is a, a bipartisan American issue. This has nothing to do with party politics. So- our response, the current administration's response was to propose up to 100% tariffs on like over 200 different European Union products, including all wine, all cheese, all seafood, all fish, all meat, all spirits, all liqueurs, all cordials, um, and nuts, and olives, and olive oil, and motorcycle parts, and, and paintbrushes, and machine tools, and small appliances. And it's like, it's a craziness. Bed sheets and cashmere, and linens, and sweaters. and it's, It was it's-
0: like the whole gamut of pretty much everything that we kind of like need and import and enjoy it was
2: everything but things related to airplane parts which is the whole freaking reason for this dispute so um i never thought i would be a lobbyist but i found myself over the course of the last few months spending a lot of time in the halls of congress um by the way dear american friends you can walk into any congressional office. Pretty much every single one, except maybe four of the most high-profile people. Their doors are open. They, the signs say "Come on in." You don't need to prove. You need to be in the buildings of those offices. You just you show up. You don't
0: need ID. You don't need ID.
2: You show up. You go through metal detector. You walk in. You say, "Hey, my name is so and so. I would like to talk to somebody about this thing that's important to me." So um, I did a lot of that. I met with over forty or fifty congressional representatives, and uh, uh, again, both sides of the aisle, just to basically talk about like making these tariffs not happen. So we got a bit of a win in that the the announcement came on Friday. The 15th, 14th of February, whatever that was,
0: Yeah, yeah. The Valentine's Day
2: gift was yes. that there won't be an imposition of 100% tariffs on European Union products. The thing about that, though, so people heard that and they're like, okay, we're great, but here's the problem. In October, they put 25% tariffs on EU wines from, let me see if I can get this right, the UK, France, Spain, and Germany, mm-hmm. non-sparkling, 14% alcohol or less, um, and scotch and a couple other things. Well, here's the problem for Germany. Nothing in Germany is over 14%. So it's pretty much all German wines. But ultimately, these 25% tariffs have been in place since October. They crippled the wine industry because the thing that this administration doesn't understand is that these tariffs are borne by American businesses. So the European Union imports roughly $10 billion of wine. I'm not even talking about spirits. Like this doesn't include Grey Goose. This doesn't include like uh, Scotch. It doesn't include Jameson. It doesn't include all these things, just wine. It's about $10 billion a year. And in the United States, there's a federally mandated, like the 21st Amendment, that whole like prohibition's over. Yeah. Part of that 21st Amendment, so this is in our constitution, is that there is a three-tier distribution system. So spirits, alcohol or wine, need to go from importer to distributor to Uh, to sales agent, which is either a restaurant or retail, Mm -hmm. to end user, which is yourselves. And because of this retail distribution system, 85% of every dollar generated on European Union wines is generated by American businesses and stays in the United States. So $10 billion of incoming European Union wines becomes at minimum $20 billion of wine sold to the United States. And if those tariffs would have gone through, that's $20 billion lost to American businesses of revenue and profit. That's $20 billion uh, with sales tax. It's almost $2 billion lost to state and federal tax costs. Election and stuff and it was we were looking at about 6,500 uh, uh, importers and distributors closing. And a ripple effect of basically hundreds of thousands of people unemployed, and that's before it even gets to retail shops and restaurants, where this gets even more complicated. Is that we're talking about like truck drivers, warehouse workers? We're not just talking about wine people. And this isn't an issue of oh, a bunch of elitists drinking this unnecessary luxury good are uh, you know upset that it costs more. This is about like hundreds of thousands of people being unemployed. I don't know many bussers or dishwashers or cooks or waiters that are or hostesses or hosts or administrative assistants. Or truck drivers or warehouse loaders or dock workers that are doing this because this is a career they love most of these people are living at or below the poverty line Um, they are doing this because they're supporting themselves their family paying for the ridiculous medical expenses that our country has paying for ridiculous education expenses whatever it is these are not careers that most people aspire to these are the people that are going to lose their jobs with these tariffs so 100% 100% tariffs are gone. Sorry, I know this is a lot to talk about. No, it's
0: amazing. And people need to know because they I think do. most people have no idea no about the situation. Not And at all. how they're going to be impacted.
2: Right. So the 25% tariffs that I mentioned are still in place. And what that means is like that... American importers have to come up with twenty dollars to $30,000 every time they land a container, and that comes out of their, mo- their pocket. Most of these wines are already pre-purchased, pre-sold. And also, they can't get terms from their brokers anymore, which means instead of being able to pay in 60, 90, 180 days, they have to come up with it when the container hits the dock. And uh, here's something I learned— Um, the way it works in customs and bond is for every day that your container is there, you're paying huge fines and fees. It's kind of like getting your car towed every day. It's an impound. You pay huge fees. So I know people who had to like lay people off. I know people who sold their cars, took out second mortgages to pay for these. And this is just 25%. These tariffs still exist and it is crippling American businesses and American employment. And I know four companies that have already closed, uh, hundreds of people who have been laid off already. So we are fighting to eliminate these terrorists. It's one of the reasons I wanted to bring a European Union wine, because people need to know that you need to support EU. One last thing I'll say about this, and then we can get back to Rosé, is this. <laughs> the the seemingly intuitive logic is, oh, this is great for American wines. People will shift to drink more American wines and, and it'll be great for American economy, American wineries. Well, there's two reasons that's not true. Number one, that 21st Amendment federally mandated three-tier distribution system means yeah. that every single American winery has to go through the same system of distribution. Yeah. Most distributors have 60 to 80% of their portfolio tied up in European Union wines. In fact, there is no such thing as 100% American-only alcohol distributor. They just don't exist. If they do, there's one or two of the six. Yeah, it's very
0: rare I, a rare occurrence. I think it's just maybe one or two, like you
2: said. Right, yeah. exactly. So when the, these existing tariffs and potential upcoming tariffs go through, by the way, that 100% is only off the table for six months and it's being revisited. right? So if, with these 25% tariffs and the potential 100% tariffs go through, when these distributors start closing because they can't afford to pay 30 extra thousand dollars for a container of wine, which is like seven or eight pallets and a pallet is like 50, 54 cases. So if you do the math, that You know, every bottle costs like twelve dollars more, right? And if it's an eight-dollar bottle, and suddenly it's twelve dollars more, you know that sucks. Um, Yeah, that means that American wineries have no pastor distribution as well, because these distributors are what they rely on to sell their wines. So it is not good for American wineries. The other thing is, there's really no trade-off. I'll give you, uh, you know, a good example is that is this rosé. The cost of labor and and land and production in the United States is far more than that in many European Union countries. So we can't just trade off and be like, okay, we'll just drink American wines. If you find me an American rosé, that's about. 10 bucks or less that tastes this good. They exist, but they're few and far between. Very few and far between. And lastly, the, we, the trade deficit is huge. Ver- the amount of liquid that we import wine-wise from the EU versus what we export to the EU. And that's because America doesn't have the production capacity. And it's not like a factory. We can just pay over time to a night shift to produce more widgets. If I planted a vine today, it would be a minimum of three years before I could harvest the grapes to make wine. And then the time it takes to make the wine is six months to a year, and if it sees oak, even longer. So if America today planted enough grapes to completely cover this deficit and we didn't buy another bottle of European Union wine, it would be five years before we even got close. Yeah, that's what five years from Minimum. now. Minimum.
0: And, you know, I remember a few years ago, uh, we were seeing in the news that there was going to be a wine sh- shortage because of millennials, right? right. Because of the, the, the uh, usage had increased substantially. Mm-hmm. That wasn't actually a real situation as what we're seeing now. Right. Now is actually where we should be seeing news outlets talking about the fact that this is something that we will potentially lose uh, as an industry. Yep. Um, so what can people do? Like, how can we help this movement and ensure that these importers and distributors uh, and small business owners are not going to have these tariffs um, and support them in their missions into to making
2: sure that this doesn't become 100% in, in six months or so? So here's the easiest thing you can do. The easiest thing you can do in about the same time as it takes to play one round of candy crush or post one thing to your instagram story you can write to your congressional and house representatives it can be 3 sentences there you know if you just google a congressperson for whatever town or city you live in, uh, a house representative for whatever city or town you live in, governor for your state. All that information is readily available. You can call or write, and you can just say, my name is so-and-so. I love wine. I am a consumer. Tariffs hurt American jobs. Tariffs hurt the American economy. Please don't make my wine cost more and punish America because at the end of the day, these tariffs don't really hurt the EU We've already seen since the October tariffs that all of the differential that got lost to the U.S. went immediately to China. So uh, as a whole other political thing, these tariffs actually don't punish the countries that we're trying to punish. They do cripple the United States and hurt us, and they reward our biggest trade competitor. So all you have to do is write in. It can be a long thing. It can be a short thing. You would be like, hey, I listened to this podcast about about Rosés, and they said tariffs are bad. So please— Sign off against tariffs. That is the simplest thing you can do. Secondarily, vote with your dollars. When yes. you're out, make it a, a make it a point to drink European Union products, especially wines, um, because that also helps these American businesses that are suffering from lost demand and that are carrying the burden of the increased costs this will help them keep their lights on and keep their american citizens employed
0: yeah and one quick thing on that how does one know that they're drinking a wine from the european union because i think a lot of our our listeners are you know avid wine drinkers but maybe not know the nuances of how to differentiate where you know they are coming from or how they should move about within that statement.
2: Well, that's really easy because almost every single place that you have an opportunity to consume wine, whether it's purchasing in retail or whether it's in a restaurant, will have their wines organized by country. Yes. So, um, you know, so that's easy. Like most wine lists, unless unless the wine list is house red, house white, house rosé, and that's the only three things on the list. They're probably they're, they're yeah. probably EU wines, honestly, because especially a place like that will pro- have very inexpensive wines. And, you know, again, those wines of quality don't come at that price point in the United States. But um, in any restaurant or any wine shop, they'll almost all certainly be organized by price. Also, it's okay to ask. Be like, you know what? Here are my criteria. I'm interested in a rosé that's more citrus-driven, maybe a little bit floral, fully dry, and I would like something from the European Union. Let them do the rest.
0: I just, oh God, we could talk all day. All day. All day, Rosé, we could talk. But I wanted to know, before we let you go, what your favorite Rosé is. And yes, I had to bang the table because mm-hmm.
2: I know this is going to be great. You use my least favorite word because favorite <laughs> is not something that a someone I can use. That's like asking a writer what one letter is mm. the most important letter.
0: Yeah, I, well, if I was a, a writer, I would say R because my name starts with the R, so... Mm. But that's because I'm also like being extra right
2: now too. <laughs> Fair enough. But but you couldn't but you couldn't spell extra without an X. So maybe or the X e. is pretty important, right? Yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> favorites favorites are Okay, are well, let, let me something rephrase I, it. I struggle with but
0: Well some of the best rosés that you've had.
2: Okay, so one of one of my favorite, not my favorite, because I don't have a favorite. It depends on my mood. One of my it's favorite. It's like a kid; you can't
0: have a favorite wine.
2: Exactly. <laughs> one of my favorite rosés is from Washington State. It's a very small winery called Cote Bonneville, and it's 100 Cabernet Franc. And Cabernet Franc is not a grape you tend to see in rosé very often because Cabernet Franc, if it's not fully ripe, can tend to taste very green and sort of stemmy and and, and almost weedy. And generally speaking, for rosés, you want lower alcohol, so it's hard, So you don't use like fully, completely ripe grapes. Otherwise, um, if you remember like high school chemistry, the more sugar there is, uh, is more fruit for the yeast. The yeast eats the sugar, gives off two things, alcohol and CO2. You let the CO2 go away, you keep the alcohol, you have wine. So in order to get the flavors of, of Cabernet Franc ripe, you've got to get to a point where you have a lot of potential alcohol and not everybody wants to drink high alcohol rosés. This one in particular is designed to be rosé from start to finish. Um, it's tiny production, so I'm about to get you excited about something you'll be very hard to find. They only make 300 cases. It's in restaurant only. Oh. The winery is called Cote Bonneville. So C-O-T-E, Bonneville, like the Pontiac Bonneville. <laughs> They're based in uh, Yakima Valley of Washington State, and this Cabernet Franc rosé is mind-blowing. What I love about it is you really taste the Cabernet Franc. This is the Red Wine Lover's Rosé. This is the rosé I use when I when a guest is like, one guest is like, I like I like white wine and I'm having lobster risotto and, and the other person's like, I love red wine and I'm having steak. I'm like, I've got a perfect rosé for you that's going to do both things. Also, rosé and, and meat, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The right rosé and the right meat. Loire Valley Cabernet Franc rosés and lamb, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's all about just making sure you get the right pairing happening there, but... It works anyway. So if you can find it, and it would probably only be in restaurants, but you, I think they also have like a mailing list or a yeah, wine club. Yeah, and like you club probably Mono can order
0: and have it shipped because yeah, yeah. I, I know, especially so. here in DC, Chicago, uh, New York, uh, and Anything some other goes. states, you can you can actually have
2: wine shipped to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most most states now allow direct to consumer shipments. Uh, Pennsylvania shipments. still doesn't.
0: Yeah, but, but Pennsylvania's yeah. like you yeah. said. You're you that's in a Philly. whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. is like a whole
2: other yeah. podcast. <laughs> Dude, I don't even understand Pennsylvania.
0: Oh my god. Anyway, love you people in Pennsylvania don't understand some things that happen there.
2: Right. <laughs> Agreed. Like, how do you beat up Santa?
0: Right. Like,
2: that happened at, a, I think, an Eagles game, like, in the 80s or 90s. They just, oh, no, they didn't, Did they beat him up or boo him? I don't know. But, like, but I think really they beat feeling, him up
0: one year and, and then, then, like, another they year. booed him another. Who, yeah. not uh, Eagles I don't fans, get you, come on. <laughs> Worry about your team. Right? Not the Santa Claus. Right. Anyway. <laughs> so, Eric, how can people stay in touch with you?
2: Oh, um, so I'm all over the interwebs. Um, on the book of faces, my name is Eric, E-R-I-K. Last name is Segelbaum. S as in Sam, E-G-E-L, B as in Bravo, A-U-M as in Mary. There is only one human on the planet with my name. So any social media where you search Eric Segelbaum, you'll find me. Uh, My Instagram is at eric4wine, so E-R-I-K, the numeral four. And if you can't spell wine, we are no longer friends
0: yeah, or we won't like, be friends
2: to begin with. I also have a personal hashtag. There, Of the hundreds of uses of it, there's only one that isn't mine, and that is the name of my company, which is Sommelier. So it's hashtag S-O-M-L-Y-A-Y. Like Sommelier. Also how it's pronounced. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Eric Segelbaum. And, uh, yeah, again, if you just search my name on any social media platform, there's really, there's fortunately, there's only one of me.
0: Yeah. And I know you said you may have an announcement and like, you're doing some great things before you go. Do you want to talk about a few of those things?
2: Oh my God. There's a lot of things. Um, so for all of the people that are listening that are based in DC, uh, I am doing a series of wine classes at the Smithsonian. Uh, institution, so the Smithsonian Museum's uh, educational wing. Um, i They're scheduled on the Smithsonian events website. Um, upcoming in the next month and a half, we are doing Wines of Bordeaux, Wines of Burgundy, Wines of Northern Italy, and then Wines of Central and Southern Italy, plus the islands, as uh, two sessions each of four separate classes. Towards the latter half of the year, we'll be doing Women and Wine to celebrate the Ooh. anniversary, the 100-year anniversary of the suffrage movement. I'm really excited about that. I can't wait to be there! I'll be doing a Wine 101, which is an amazing, like, uh, Uh, Whether you know wine comes from grapes or you have a 2,000 bottle cellar, this is a class, it's my favorite class to do. It's so much fun. Um, And we'll be doing some other topics there and probably in the fall. Um, Also, for those of you that live in New York, Chicago, and Boston, um, I'm the host of a national wine education tour called Wine Riot. It's basically like a giant party where you have a ton of fun, but also there's wine. And it's about wine education, but in a really cool environment, like DJ, stage contest, competitions, a lot of fun. Um, So this year it's in those three cities, New York, uh, Washington, no, sorry, not Washington, sorry, New York, Boston, Chicago, Go to wineriot.com to check that out, um, and uh, you know, please, by all means, you know, when I suggest that you follow me on the interwebs, it's not because I want the follows. I'm not follow thirsty. It's because, um, I really believe that anybody who's going to devote their screen time to me needs to benefit from it. So I am always posting educational things. I'm big into the hashtag, always learning or always teaching. So I'm constantly, anything I do is not like, look what I drank. Look what I ate. Look at this luxury. Look at what I did. It's very much about like, I'm doing these things. Here's what you can learn from them. Here are a couple of interesting takeaways. So for those of you that are looking to learn more or get more into wine and uh, my commitment to you, if you follow me on the internet is it's going to be worth your time, not just some like attention thirsty, took eight minutes to pose the photo correctly and like nine people to hold them in place to take the shot. I don't even use filters. I'm I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen X. I don't even use filters. So, so uh, you, you get me raw.
0: Yes! Well, Eric, I cannot thank you enough for, one, finding time, because you're actually on your way out of the country to do some teaching.
2: Oh uh, Yeah, I'm uh, lecturing at uh, the Culinary Institute of America in Napa Valley. They do an, an annual global beverage conference, and I'm running a bunch of seminars.
0: You guys, this man is the man. Oh, and don't worry, he is not going to just do a one-and-done situation with us. Oh, I'll be back if you'll have me. Yay! Of course, because what?
2: We want education in rosé before we leave can i just say one thing of I have course. one I have one be- piece of homework for everyone listening I'm gonna make you do this too I want everybody to say right now rose season ready Ro- one two three
0: rose season
2: Great, never say that again There is no such thing as rosé season yes. Rosé has year-long utility Rosé has more place at your table in winter than many white wines do oh So get gosh, over yes. this notion that pink is only for spring and summer You should be drinking rosé all year round Just in terms of a structure standpoint and a food-friendliness standpoint and A versatility standpoint Rosé season is 365 days a year Not just when the sun's out and you're in your yes. shorts and t-shirts So never say rosé season again
0: don't be a stink. Always think pink.
2: Oh, I love it. Yes! Love it. Love it.
0: <laughs> Thank you again, Eric, for coming on the show. We are so, so thankful you are here and we are so excited to see all the amazing things you're you're doing out there oh. and come to the events because I love to drink with you. Hell yeah. Yay! Thank you for having
2: me. Thank you all for listening.
0: Yay! Thanks, Eric. <laughs> My goodness. Eric, the rosé, the conversation, the education, So amazing I want to thank Eric and Dion For coming on the show this week So many things You guys go to Dancer Fit's website uh, And Instagram Go to a class Dance, 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 dance dance. Then hit up Eric the Somalier And find out some good rosés At local dineries Or even Tell them what you think about You know, rosé or learn about a new one from him. I don't know. So many options, so many opportunities. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in this week. This was such an awesome episode. As always, if you want to connect with us, please email me at Rene at the RoseHourpodcast.com. Additionally, check us out on social media at the Rose Hour Podcast. And remember, next week. Is another episode of Amazing People. So tune in every Wednesday to the Rosé Hour podcast. Thanks, Tyrone and Ben for all your work. And remember, friends, sip, sip, hooray!
1: round the world, we sipping rose. Let me them back. Baby girl, she don't play, don't play